so um, it's a privilege this morning and a blessing to um, introduce my own brother from a real, the same mother. <laughs> it is the brother from the same mother, um, Franz <laughs> van Dijk, and he's going to share um, a message with you guys this morning. He flew out from the States, from Texas on Thursday night and arrived Friday night. And when he came through the door, he only had his hand luggage. And I was like, gee, Brewer, you travel light. <laughs> but then, like, almost half of the flight, they lost the baggage. And luggage was nowhere to be seen. But anyway, we had to get him a nice outfit yesterday. That's why, you know, Thanks, he looks buddy. so dapper because I, I, I was there, <laughs> just to make sure. But anyway, so it's a privilege to have you with us. And um, we're excited to hear what God has to say through you. And... Um, Franz has been in the U.S. for, what, 22 years now? So he's been away. He's, he's been visiting. But, yeah, so it's lovely to have you with us. Let's just um, pray for you. Lord, we thank you for Franz. We thank you that you have um, put a message on his heart that you want to bless us with, that you want to speak to us through, Lord God. Thank you that your word is alive and active. And, Lord, we open our hearts to hear from you. Bless him and guide him and lead him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I think so. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is, uh, like Yolanda said, Franz van Dijk. Uh, I live in Houston, Texas in the USA, and I've been there for about 22 years. And like she said, I come in uh, Friday evening, and uh, my luggage is not there. Uh, walk through. Uh, luckily, they're delivering it today. Yesterday, I did some intentional shopping. And thank you for my personal shopper, Yolanda. Thank you, Willies. And uh, where, where did we get the shoes? The Jagers. The Jagers got the shoes. So I'm, uh, this is the first time I'm wearing this clothes. You guys are privileged to, uh, to, to see me in this. Uh, I want to start off by thanking specifically uh, Sheldon and Kathleen for the opportunity to share uh, a bit of my story this morning and also the work that God's uh, put on my heart for all of us, but especially for this community. Thank you also to Anton and Yelana. About two months ago, I was busy in the morning sitting with the Lord, and he, he put on my heart that maybe you should tell your story. Maybe there's an opportunity to share your story with the Bay community. And I was like, man, uh, I am young in full-time ministry, and I am not going to approach anyone and make that proposal. <laughs> and then a little over a week ago, Ilana mentioned this to me, and I was like, this is, this is truly from, from the Lord. I also bring greetings from my home church in Houston, which is Lakewood United Methodist Church, as well as the, my possibly future church down the street, the Made Baptist Community uh, to you guys. I want to share a bit of my own story with you, and I, and I don't want you to, to hear my story. I want you to hear the redemption power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in my story. And I'm going to try and be brief so that we can get to the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. So I grew up in the vacation town of Sasselberg. <laughs> uh, 
If you don't know where it is, it's right on the Vaal River across from Gauteng. We are free state. We are the free state. Uh, it's an industrial town, and the highest point in that town is not uh, Lion's Head or Table Mountain. It is one of the pipes for the petrochemical companies that's in, that's in there. Uh, I was born to uh, France and Elmerie van Dyck, two loving parents. We grew up in the church. I have two sisters, Ilana and Liana. Uh, we, uh, and then now Liana named her daughter Tihana. <laughs> and, and my daughter is Mariana. <laughs> so, so, so poor grandma this, this Christmas, poor grandma this Christmas. Anyway, uh, we, we grew up in the church, you know, we went to church every single morning, uh, every single Sunday, uh, we went to Sunday school, and we went to church most Sunday evenings. But as a, uh, as a child growing up in the church, uh, messages were right over our heads, the messages were loaded with fire and brimstone, the pews were uncomfortable, people were always miserable. Uh, <laughs> I and, I, and I think I can speak for Ilana too, we did not enjoy church <laughs> growing up, not at all. Yeah. Uh, school, primary school, uh, I loved school, maybe for the wrong reasons. I loved sport, and I loved my friends. And that's where I was also introduced, actually by my dad, but I was introduced to my first true love. Rugby. <laughs> so needless to say, typical Afrikaner upbringing. Reformed church, loved rugby. Could barely speak a word of English. Uh, played rugby, uh, was quite accomplished sportsman in other sports too. Held some leadership positions even from a young age. I had a lot of friends, but I always had this little... Uh, inferiority uh, feeling inside of me, which if you didn't know me really well, you would not have known about it. Uh, but always felt a little uncomfortable, especially in the company of people that I did not know, was not familiar with. Went to high school, same thing, uh, excelled at sport, leadership positions, and around 14 or 15 I started experimenting with a little bit of drinking here and there. Then when I was 16, I played rugby with boys that were 19 years old. I played provincial rugby in high school. And that is really where this partying uh, and drinking started escalating a little bit. 1994, I finished high school, the same year as the first democratic elections in this country. My whole school career, I did not attend school with anybody else than white people. That year was the first year we had standard sixes coming in that were not white. So needless to say, I had no idea what was going on out there. We grew up in apartheid generation, went to university after that, and that was the first time I was in class with people from other, other races. Had full scholarship for rugby in uh, university, Vault Triangle Technicon. Uh, 
but you know, now you're in college, now you're in university, so the, the, the partying gets a little more, the girls are getting really important, and the bad habits start forming around it, started getting injuries, started uh, not taking care of myself, and slowly but surely, this uh, lifestyle started suffocating my first love, which was rugby. Um, I forced a three-year degree into five years. Um, and then after a couple of uh, years working uh, sales jobs around Johannesburg, one evening I was sitting with a friend of mine that came to visit from Houston. He, he came to visit his family for Christmas. And we had a few brandies and Cokes and uh, bribed something. And he's like, hey, why don't you come to the States with me? I thought long and hard about it, and after five minutes, I said yes. <laughs> uh, I was 22 years old. I didn't have a family. I had zero responsibilities. I quit my job. And about a month later, on January the 18th, 2000, I arrived in London for a little layover. Ilana at that time was already in London. We spent a couple of days together. And from there on, moved to Houston, Texas, arrived there on January 21st, uh, 2000, with a bag of clothes and $100 and no plan. Uh, we got kind of plugged in with the rugby club there, uh, slept on people's floors and couches, did some odd jobs, uh, construction work, painting. The plan was to do some odd jobs, save some money, travel the country, and be back in South Africa uh, after a year or two. Well, that's 22 years <laughs> later. Uh, I met my, oh, so now I'm in this foreign country. Uh, I don't have any accountability. I don't have any nagging parents or siblings that, that, that uh, care for me. Uh, and now really, now the party is on and, and things just went from bad to worse. Met Claire, my wife, in 2001 uh, in a bar. Uh, we got married in 2003, and our daughter Mariana was born in 2005. And I really thought that the birth of my daughter would slow me down, but no, it did not. Things really just got worse. Fast forward a little bit to uh, October 2013, so almost exactly eight years ago. Uh, after another episode, uh, Claire got quite upset, and usually she would uh, get mad, and then I would slow down a little, things would get a little better, and then uh, it would be a, only a matter of time before I took off again, and, and, and this time something was different. Uh, I could see it in her eyes that, that she was done with the drinking and that she was most probably done with me. At that time, I, I tried so hard, uh, as Sheldon talked about striving earlier, I tried so hard to quit drinking by myself, and that was the first time that I realized that I cannot do this by myself. Praise the Lord for His love, mercy, and grace. I knew a friend of mine, a good friend of mine that was already in recovery, and I picked up the phone and I called him. And I told him what was going on. 
he said, well, uh, you're going to South Africa for Christmas. Why don't we meet in January once you came back? We set a date, and uh, eight years ago, we came here for Christmas and got back, and I met with him on January the 12th, 2014, and I have not had a drink of alcohol since that day. Praise the Lord for that. About a month later, I was sitting in a worship service at my church. We were partaking in the Lord's Supper, and the Holy Spirit came, and He hijacked my heart. And uh, I accepted Jesus Christ into my life that morning, and that radically changed uh, my life as well. So from that time on, uh, things were not just plain sailing. Uh, things got a lot worse in relationships before they started getting better. But I can say over the next seven years, I had an amazing job, uh, beautiful relationship with my daughter, relationships with my family, my parents were all restored. And uh, so seven, seven years later, so let's go to 2019, sitting at the dinner table with my wife and my daughter one evening, and I just lost conscious and pass out. They thinking I'm joking around. And this is actually on video because we were playing a game. And Claire came and she shook me and I came to her. I was all confused and we raced to the emergency room. They do all kinds of tests, nothing wrong. They take me to the hospital keep me overnight for observation, nothing wrong, leave, go to the cardiologist, they think I may have had a stroke, nothing wrong, even wore a heart monitor for 40 days, they cannot find anything wrong, and life continues. Come 2020, what happened in 2020? I don't have to tell you what happened in 2020. In the middle of COVID, April 2020, I woke up one Sunday morning, and I have some irregular heartbeat, and some high heart rate, and I'm really fatigued. I'm like, this has happened before. Uh, it'll be over soon. A couple of days later, it's, it's not over. It's, it's still there. And I do the responsible thing. Nothing. <laughs> I don't go to the doctor. I continue drinking coffee and eating what I'm eating. I continue exercising. And then Friday, almost a week later, I started feeling some abdominal pain and uh, did not sleep that evening. Still Saturday morning, did not go to the doctor. I FaceTimed the other doctor in South Africa, my sister. <laughs> I tell her what's going on with me, and she goes, you need to get to the emergency room immediately. Um, I'm okay. So I'm not home. I'm driving home that Saturday morning, and uh, I... Uh, I get home, and, and then I take a shower, and I shave, and I pack my backpack, because I have a feeling I'm not coming home right away. I uh, take all my work stuff, everything. Uh, Claire and Mariana's not even home. Put my flip-flops on, and I drive myself to the emergency room. On the way there, I go through the car wash, and <laughs> seriously, seriously, because I'm not thinking this is too bad. Uh, so because of COVID, you cannot walk into the emergency room. They do all the vital checks before you go in right in front of the entrance outside. Something's wrong with the machine. They cannot take my blood pressure. 
They say, well, let's do an EKG quickly. I go in, they, plot the, they put the EKG on me. I ask the nurse, I say, what does it look like? He says, good. If you ran here, I had 160 heart rate, resting heart rate. Immediately, they put me in the emergency room. Uh, they put me on IV, and the nurse comes in. She goes, well, I'm going to put this medication in you, and it's going to bring your heart rate down rapidly. She administered the first dose. Nothing happens. Second, nothing happens. Third, nothing happens. They change the medication. Nothing happens. They change it the third time. Nothing happens. They raise me up to ICU. So now the weirdest thing is I don't really feel sick. So I get in ICU and 90% of the people is unconscious. And I'm chatting away to these nurses. I'm actually walking to my bed and, 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 and it's just FaceTiming with my family and my friends. But the one thing that, that, that concerned me, they, they hooked me up to this monitor. And every time my heart rate would go above 150, that thing would shout. Next morning, cardiologist comes in. He says, what you have is afibrillation, irregular heartbeat. It's like, almost like an electrical short in the heart that prevents blood from going through on a regular basis. Um, and if it doesn't improve, we're just going to shock your heart back into rhythm, which they did. I go home. I go see the cardiologist a week later. And I'm still all smiles. This is not that bad. And he looks at me, and he says, this is some serious S. You can finish that word. You had congestive heart failure at the time you arrived in the hospital. So they did another echocardiogram, I think is what they call it. Uh, a week or two weeks later, the echocardio specialist calls me and says, Mr. Van Dyke, a miracle happened. Your congestive heart failure completely reversed itself. And you are you now qualify for a procedure which we call a catheter ablation, which we just put two stents through your groin, and we burn the damaged scar tissue in order to fix the problem. And I've not had a problem since that day. So this is not the end of this COVID subplot. Two months later, I'm leaving the house. We're working remotely like everybody else in the world. But we started, Houston and Texas started opening up a little, and we started taking some of our clients, I'm in sales, for lunches. I'm driving to lunch with a client, and the phone rings, and it's my manager. And this is the job that I've worked with for seven years, made a lot of money. I was really just sailing through life. And he's like, uh, I've got Jennifer on the line with us. Now, I know who Jennifer was. Jennifer was the HR manager. So I'm like, this is not going to go well. No, no, you only talk to Jennifer if you have to. <laughs> so so uh, they go, well, thank you. We're so sorry. It's COVID, market conditions, oil and gas. Uh, we're going to have to let you go. They explain the procedure. That was 10.30 in the morning. One o'clock that afternoon, my email was shut off, done. I still went to lunch with my clients because after seven years, you're friends with these people. And while I'm sitting at lunch, I get a text message from our youth pastor at church. I've, I've been volunteering for, I volunteered there for the past four years with uh, youth ministry. And he wants to talk about how we're going to do small groups with COVID. We're getting back together. And so I said, okay, cool. 
we get on the FaceTime call, and I said, hey, can you hang out? Can you hang around after the call? Sure. And I talked to him. I said, listen, I just lost my job. I wanted to come and volunteer a little more, but I really have a lot of time on my hands now. <laughs> he said, hold on. That evening, I have a finance committee meeting. The next morning, he calls me. He says, well, you can start as an interim uh, assistant youth director as soon as you want. So I started working at church the next uh, Monday, and then two months later, I applied for the full-time position, and I've been there for a year and a half in full-time ministry now. And I am, if, it's, if, if God willing, I'm moving actually on to another uh, opportunity uh, at the end of January. We'll see how that, how that works out. But as you can see, this is just... This is just, bottom line, a story of, of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. So this season, these last few months, the Lord continuously took me back to the beginning. In my Bible study, in my devotionals, He, he took me back to the beginning of this. Of his story. This is a story of a loving father pursuing a loving relationship with all of his children. But unfortunately, this is also a story of these same children acting up time and time again and not living into the purpose which they were created for which is to love Father with all their heart and mind. And not just that, to love one another in the same way. Sin came in, and unrepented sin will damage or destroy any chance we have with having a relationship with a loving Father and with one another. So Abraham and Sarah were minding their own business, whatever they were doing back in the desert in that day. Abraham probably attending to his flock, taking care of his family. And then the Lord came and speak to Abraham. And we go to Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And then verse 6 is rocked me last night. I've never, never... Read it this way. And this is what the, the, the theme has been this morning so far. 
Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. And then a little further down, verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. But you're going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. So I don't care how cool that promise is. If you tell me I'm going to be slaves in another country for 400 years, I'm going to go, really? But here's, here's one thing that's part of that promise. Abram was in Canaan during the time of this promise. God made the same covenant with Jacob later on. And then the Israelites, Moses saw this promised land. So 400 years as slaves in a foreign land, approximately 215 years passed from the time of the covenant before Joseph was sold to the Midianite merchants and went into Egypt. Another 430 years in Egypt as slaves before the exodus through the Red Sea, and then wandering around in the desert for 40 years before they finally entered this promised land. So why did they finally enter the promised land? Did God get anxious? Did God start worrying about them? Did God feel a little out of control? I need to get this mission done and accomplished now. Were the Israelites cute and obedient? Absolutely not. Quite the opposite. And you talk about the scouts that went out and came back. What happened to the ones that doubted? They went up the hill and Moses tell them, the Lord said do not go up to that hill. And he struck them dead. The Israelites went into Canaan because God remembered his promise. God remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham. God never forgets his promises. Never. Another 400 years passed from the end of the Old Testament to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is where we get into this season of Advent, of the coming of the Christ. Yes, Christmas Day is, a, uh, is it just a day of uh, remembering that Christ came. It's, 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 it's sometimes just a day on the calendar. But it's an opportunity we cannot let go to realign our hearts and our minds and preparing ourselves for the coming of the Christ. Mark 1, Mark 1 verse 15, Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe 
the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has been near and with us for the past 2,000 years. Repent. This is a repentance is such a strong, such a strong word that we miss a lot about sometimes. Repenting is recognizing and realizing that I am a broken sinner. Inviting the Holy Spirit to come in and show me that brokenness. Show me what's dark inside of me. And then realizing that I'm in desperate need for God's love, grace, and mercy. Not once a week. Every moment of every single day. And then once, I, once this darkness or sin is exposed, I need to confess this sin before God. And I need to bring it in the light and I need to confess the same sin to another brother or sister in Christ. Then I need to take that stronghold, that sin, that brokenness, and I need to go and I need to go lay it at the foot of the cross. That is how we get this destroyed. Believe the good news of Jesus with your whole heart and live into the purpose that you were created for and stand on the promise of God and the foundation that Jesus Christ left for each one of us while he walked this earth. It's a life that's built on a foundation and we can be with God in heaven one day if we stand firm on this foundation. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not driving a hard bargain. By community, leaders, elders, Sheldon, Kathleen, this has been, you've been in the desert. This world's been in the desert. I was at a conference in, in the U.S. the other day. Every single speaker, every single pastor in there said they almost quit. Every one of them said they almost quit because of the burden of the season that we've been in and, in, and that we are still, still in. But I want to tell you that my prayer for you is that Holy Spirit will write these promises and this invitation on the tablets of your heart. And that you will realize that the only thing that Jesus is asking for us to do here is to go sit at the table that He prepares for each one of us. Every morning when we, go, when we wake up, 
There is a feast prepared for us. And Jesus is asking you, come and feast with me today. Sit with me. Rest with me. Because I am humble. Because I am gentle. Because my yoke is easy. And because my burden is light. So why did Jesus come? Jesus came to restore that broken relationship with God, the Father, and that broken relationship we had with one another. I want to tell you this morning, wherever it is you are, whatever it is that's burdening you, whatever is heavy on you, we are all in this together. But I want to tell you one thing. God sees you and God hears you. God feels your pain. God celebrates with you in the victories. And God cries the tears you cry. And God hears your cries. But above everything else, God remembers His promise. It's about 2,000 years from the time that He made that promise to Abram to the time that Jesus came into this world. And it's about 2,000 plus years since Jesus walked this earth. I want to leave you with this words from Jesus. John 14 verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as this world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And please do not be afraid. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this community. Because there's no darkness for you. Even the dark is light. Even the darkest place in our own lives, our hearts, is light to you. Lord, show us what we need to turn that dark side of our heart upside down so it can face the light so that your love and your grace and your mercy and your power can heal us so that we can be the lights to this world in this dark time that you created us to be. Lord, I pray this morning a blessing over this church. My heart and my spirit's been in agreement with everything that was said this morning. Thank you that you are right here, right now, closer to us than our own breath. And that you will be with us when we walk out this door today into this community. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, lift us up so that we can be a joy to this world, regardless 
of what our circumstances look like. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you, France. Thank you, my brother. That was a, a, it's a timely word for us to remember. Because as I said here before, if any promise we're going to have, God is going to test it. And that I just want to pray over you, okay, because you've got a decision coming up or things happening with Rian. And there's, there's, something, there's something about when you walk into that term full-time ministry, you know, it's like that because we're all in ministry for the Lord. But there's, 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 there's those that are called to serve the church and lay their lives down before that. And your story of redemption is, is exactly God's heart of aligning you so that your story becomes a part of the journey of what you believe and to see in other people. And I just want let's pray over this man what God's got in store because I can see the pastor's heart that's in you, that you want to help people, you want to see them come alive because you've been there. And you want to see redemption power working through their hearts and their lives. So, Father, just thank you for France. We thank you for Claire. And your daughter's name? Mariana. Yeah, the Mariana, one of the Ayanas there. So, Father, we want to thank you that your hand is upon this family and this man's life. Lord, we want to thank you that as you stirred his heart two months ago about coming to release a message here, that we had no plan on how that would work out. But then we rest in your spirit and it all falls into place. Father, I pray that as you position this man, for what he's got in store and lined up. And I pray that what he's lining up, he's saying in January next year, I just, I see the Lord ordering your steps as you trust and you believe in him and you've learned in that. But Father, we thank you that you are creating a way that you will give this man a people that he will learn to, 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 to lead and to see them come alive in the things of God. I thank you for the pastor's heart upon him that speaks with true compassion and true comfort over the people that we can lean into you, Lord Jesus. So Father, we pray your blessing upon these decisions or meetings he has with people. This is not a job he's going for. This is walking in a calling that the God has aligned for him. So we just, yeah, that's, it's, I feel there's something on that. It's not a job. You're not looking for a job. You are, and I've said to people, I haven't had a job for about 12 years, but I do what I love. And uh, Father, I pray that France will walk into what he loves doing and serving your body and your, your church and people. And we just bless you in your mighty name and power in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank Amen. You. Thank you. Bless you, my brother. Okay, folks, keep going. Okay, holiday season is upon us. Your kids might be going to school for the next few days. We've decided, ours aren't. We're going to go on holiday now. We're doing it. So stand firm, stand strong, enter his rest, okay, over this next few weeks and that. So Errol's preaching next Sunday. We've got Christmas on the 25th. Enjoy. Amen. Bless you all. Cheers.